Okay, so this is going to be a first. It'll be just the two of us this episode, Alan, but you said you wanted to talk to me about something. Yeah, I, I've I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with you. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, is this something we should do off mic? Cause, like... no, 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 I want people to hear this. Okay. I, I've been doing this show for, let me Google real quick, I think a year now. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think... It feels like longer than that. Yeah. Um, but for that whole year, I've been pitching to you mm -hmm. on various occasions a side podcast that we'd be calling Talking About Centaurs. It, it, uh, look, it wasn't my idea to bring centaurs up in the conversation at all. That was that was Brandon. That was all Brandon. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, who, who's, whose podcast is this again? Well, thank you. God, it's about time someone fucking brought that up. Okay, I do owe you an apology for that. Uh, but you gotta understand, I've been pitching... Yeah, it's an apology with nice. Look, it's either, it's either Coffee and Pie or Talking About Centaurs. I have to pitch one of them to the Benview Network, and Coffee and Pie just seem more viable. <sighs> okay. You're gonna have to. You're gonna do have I, to sell. Do I have? Do I have permission then to make talking about centaurs a regular feature on Coffee and Pie? You have my absolute. It's your. It's your. Wait, whose podcast is Coffee and Pie? That you have. Well, I mean, you guys kind of stole my fucking bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. I'm passing it back to you like a bitcoin, and you can spend it Good. on Coffee and Pie. And it could be a regular feature of coffee and pie, and there, and then you know what? That's gonna up the podcast value. Andrew and Emily, they're gonna be all over that. They're gonna be like, yes, yes, we thought coffee and pie was a good idea, but now there's centaurs in it. Perfect. What if we just call it coffee and pie and centaurs? <laughs> you could call it coffee and pie and centaurs, uh, but you're, that means that there's a mandatory amount of centaur that has to be in every episode. Well, we are two two of the co-hosts actually do the lower half of them is a horse. So Oh. Oh, like pantomime horse or actual horse? Um no, like an actual horse. Oh, really? Wow. They're they are 80% horse. 80% horse and and 50% man. Oh yeah, so 100 we're, we're Yeah, so I I knew my fucking mathematics worked out. 130% being in general. So that's why centaurs are better than everyone else. Though, that does give you the mental image of a being that's 80% horse and 80% man. So, like, out of the horse's neck stock would be, like, it would, like, meet, like, like at mid-calf. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, the most awkward-looking fucking creature on the planet. That's horrifying. How, how has no one made that into a creepypasta yet? <laughs> like, honestly, like, that's a, that, is a, that is a scarring mental image. Walking through the woods, you hate to run into that more than you hate to run into the Slender Man. I can pro guarantee you that right now. Just, like... Flopping around. Kill me! <laughs> I'm a mistake from God. Uh, 
Welcome to Centaur Cooked Analysis, where uh, I guess talking about centaurs it will now be moved exclusively to coffee and pie. So we're okay. We're okay, right, Alan? We're, uh, we're all right. Okay, good. I'm glad to know that. Speaking of which, this is a first because it's me, David, and just me, and just me, David, and Alan. Yes, it's it's David, just me, David, and Alan. Just me, David is like just, a, he's like a Justin Bieber, which is terrible. Just, That's why he's just dead. me, David. Just me, David sounds exactly like David, and we will not be identifying which of them is which. Right. That seems that seems completely fair, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cool. So, um, but yeah, so the three of us tonight are going to read uh, a, another Shadow Swimmer story for you. Uh, we're going to get right to the point with this one. And you're probably asking yourself, myself? Why am I asking myself this question when I could be asking the host of the podcast, hypothetically, where uh, the Forensic Journals is? Well, uh, we are on in the process of getting that one set up. Unfortunately, our schedules have been really weird. Uh, I am currently uh, in rehearsals for a play, my first ever stage play that I've been in, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, and that's kept a few of my nights occupied going to do rehearsals for that. Uh, I have no idea what Dead Palette is doing. I'm sure it's important and involves uh, someone's 10 out of 10 self-shaded ass. Um, and Alan... Alan, what are you up to besides, you know, drunken pirate gaming nights and other cool stuff like that? Oh, uh, well, I listened to the last episode of the podcast today. Oh, you did. Uh, just for for the sake of this, uh, our last episode was uh, the Puppet Masters regime. Uh, I want, wanted to uh, discuss a few things real quick uh, that were addressed in my absence. Uh, yes, yes, I was in the Kemper Arena when Owen Hart died. <laughs> Ooh. Um. Yeah. Ooh. I, uh, we didn't. We didn't know. We didn't. We didn't know he. No one really knew he died until we got home. <laughs> That's uh. Hmm. Well, I, I, that, that that that's that's a story. That's a. <laughs> We knew something fucked. We knew something fucked up had happened, but uh, yeah. Well, that's you know that's a story you could tell your grandkids someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have them up on your knee and be like, "I was there. I was." When there. I was in when I was in grade school, I watched a man die. Oh, anyway, <laughs> that's why I see the Thestrals, kids. That's why I always see the Thestrals. I watched one of my favorite wrestlers die. Uh. That's really sad. Yeah. Uh, so second, no, it's wicked sad. Um. <laughs> we could laugh about it now, but at the time, it was fucking terrible. Um, the second thing is uh, I, I had a moment. I, I was alone uh, sifting uh, powder for a pharmaceutical company. Yes. Which is at, at work. And uh, while I, I was doing I hope that. it's at work. Because then I was about to say, Alan, you're not. Uh, we didn't talk about your uh, your habits on the side. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I described to my very real girlfriend uh, what my job is a few months ago, and she was. And it's very difficult to explain in a way that doesn't make me sound like I'm making illegal drugs. <laughs> 
And she said, honey, you know I've seen Breaking Bad, right? <laughs> Immediately equates it to Breaking Bad. That's not a, that's a good, that's a good sign, right? Yeah. Um, like. Any, anyway, you, you mentioned her not existing again. Uh, well, we, but, but this time we were more broad because we just mentioned that all of Canada didn't exist. But that was in the Love Pasta Challenge. And I heard you guys say that. And I said, oh, fuck you. And I then knew. you addressed just after I said it that that's probably what I was going to say. <laughs> Either we know you too well or I'm psychic or both. But yeah, that's all. That's that's my two cents on uh, the Puppet Master's Re Reggie. The Puppet Master's Reggie. Now, people are saying to me that the rest of it gets better and we almost almost read the second part of it tonight full disclosure to our listeners uh alan however was a cool guy and took the fall first and said there's a lot of pedophilia going on in this story like a lot of pedophilia <clears throat> and yeah uh I, I'm I not looked comfortable in... reading out loud stuff about pedophilia um i actually someone commented on our video who is a little disappointed he didn't like the story uh, they said, so I listened to the whole thing. I'm sad that the gore thing just tanked it for you guys. Uh, this is Wiggles ZA, by the way. Oh, Wiggles ZA, uh, yeah. Um, uh, if you want to read the whole thing, I say skip to part three. Part two is just about how everyone is a child rapist. Okay, well, uh, we could always just look at a summary of part two if we need an explanation. But, yeah, um, my thoughts on the Puppet Master regime have not changed that much. I think, it's, I think it had a good setup. I think it was a decent enough story. But then just the ending was just not interesting to me. Like the imagery, I, I guess I was just really confused by what was happening throughout the entire play, you know? Yeah, it, I don't know. Maybe maybe the other two parts add a little to the story. Maybe. It just felt, it felt hodgepodgey. It felt like a hodgepodge yeah. of like creepy stuff. I mean, it, I, I was hoping there would be more of a stronger connector. And usually a good horror story, even if it's trying to be ambiguous, has some sort of sense of a connection, a connective tissue. I wasn't getting that so much from this story. I don't know. Um, but those are my final thoughts on the Puppet Master's regime for the time being. Um, but I figured, cool. since, I figured since you weren't there for that one, it might be fun to do one with just the two of us. And uh, hopefully this one won't be a bad night to record. Even though we're reading A Bad Night by Shadow Swimmer 77, who, by the way, uh, contacted the show not long ago and expressed that he enjoyed uh, our reading of uh, Lights, uh, which we read with uh, Abysme and Paprika from Raygun Readers. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad you we enjoyed it. We actually enjoyed that story quite a bit, and I've been actually looking forward to reading more of uh, your work. So uh, I guess. Uh, this one, this one uh, looks promising enough, but um, I guess we'll see how it goes. What do you think, Alan? Um, I think <clears throat> uh, let's read. Let's get right down to it. Note, this story is an entry for the finals of the 2015 Creepypasta Freestyle Competition. For a full list of entries, see this category. Subject, detective fired from his job. Ooh, it was based on a prompt. All right. Okay. <clears throat> You're making a mistake. 
I'm sorry you feel that way, Mr. Monahan. Our decision has been made. But... There's nothing more to be said. Your final check will be in the mail tomorrow. Molly and I thank you for your services. Click. Jack Monahan sat behind the desk in the dingy room that served as his office, staring at the now-silent receiver held in his hand as if willing the voice on the other end to come back. After a few moments, the phone started beeping, letting him know it was still off the hook. Jack resisted a strong urge to bash the thing to pieces against his desk and instead, ever so carefully, placed the receiver back on the cradle with a resounding click of its own. The sound echoed hollowly throughout the room, perfectly mirroring the empty feeling that had suddenly appeared in his gut. In his gut. Damn it, he had been, he'd been so close. Alright, speaking of someone who, uh, whose first horror story was very noir, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm already sensing some noir. <laughs> well, I almost feel like as we read this, there should be, like, uh, film noir music in the background. Hmm, future David, or just me David, you want to take care of that? <laughs> yeah, sure, I can do that. Okay, sweet. <clears throat> His right hand, almost of its own accord, reached down to the drawer where he kept a bottle of cheap bourbon, half empty and soon to be more so, and a glass that was only slightly dirty. He set the two next to each other on the desk and, after a moment's consideration, returned the glass to the drawer. He removed the top from the bottle and took a long swallow. A slow, burning sensation traveling from his belly up to the base of his throat drove the empty feeling back ever so slightly. Jack sighed. Drunk or no, either way, this was going to be a bad night. Holy crap, this is... Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Thank you. Oh, shit! What, uh, this is... Are all... You know, stories like this make me wonder if all detectives have to be have some sort of noir quality in their soul if they want to take the job. If you're going to be a PI, it's uh, it's got to be it's got to be it just comes with the territory. I think. I guess if you you you're someone who wants to be a private investigator, it's because you were inspired by people who set the tone for private investigators. You know. Which in truth makes all private investigators dorks. <laughs> yeah, all private investigators should be dorks, though, right? Yes. Yeah. But it makes it really obvious that you're a private investigator. <laughs> Alright. I'm being followed by someone in a trench coat and like a fedora. Ah, it's just a private investigator. The, the case had been about kids, but for Jack it had started with just one. June Benson, eight-year-old daughter of Chase and Molly Benson, had gone missing after school one day about three weeks ago. Her parents were decently well off, but no ransom or other demands had ever come. The cops asked some questions at the school, filed some paperwork, and ultimately ruled her as a runaway. The Bensons weren't satisfied with this assessment, and hired Jack to follow up where the uniforms wouldn't. Jack agreed with them that something smelled off. A little digging showed the rabbit hole went down a hell of a lot deeper than June Benson. That is an incredibly noir sentence. Oh man, um, yeah. Hell of a... Yeah. Carefully applying some financial lubrication... Jack got one of his old contacts in the department to spill the beans. Yep, this is very noir. I, um, <laughs> is it is it bad, though, that, like, I mean, we're recognizing all the noir, noir tropes, but I kind of like this. Yeah, oh, I like it a lot, too. I like, I like it. <laughs> there are a lot of kids that had gone missing in the last two months, almost three dozen all told. Part of the reason for the general lack of panic was that most of the kids were low-income, if not outright homeless. On top of that... 
Jack's contact heavily hinted that there was pressure from a very long way up the food chain to keep a lid on the cases and sweep each and every one of them under the rug. The thing, that thing that smelled off started to stink like a fish market. Yeah, oh my god. Noir after noir, this is fantastic. <laughs> I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. <clears throat> and she walked into my office, poured into a dress. Are <laughs> uh, uh, One of the things I like about the... Um, Eberron campaign setting for Dungeons and Dragons is that it's fantasy and war. So you'll read a paragraph that says like, you know, she entered, uh, she came into my office, all f- uh, all three uh, three and a half feet of trouble. She was a halfling that would change my life forever. <laughs> you know, something like that. She was like, that's yeah. actually in the Eberron books, and I'm like, that is beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Jack hit the streets. He went to June's school in the surrounding apartments. Then, finding nothing, he rolled up his sleeves and waded into the scum of the other side of the city. He canvassed the halfway houses, the tent city under Eastbrook Bridge, the, we- the, the wakeside slum where cops would only go in force. Everywhere he went, he asked the same questions. Has anyone seen anything? Does anyone know about these missing kids? For a week, he was disappointed. Until, finally, he got a bite. I was about to say, let's go over what's happened so far, but it's really... Not much. Right. He's just <laughs> that's kid. that's the thing. That's the thing about noir. It takes a little bit to get yeah. to the point. Kids are missing, and uh, Philip Marlowe is on the case. And that's yeah. why I started to read it like Philip Marlowe. Anyway, <laughs> the informant was obviously a junkie, and was even more obviously looking for a fix. But he said he'd seen something, namely. Two goons in suits shoving a black bag over a young boy's head and throwing him into an unmarked van outside of a crack house the junkie had been flopping at. What's more, and what earned him the twenty bucks in Jack's outstretched hand, was he'd heard one of the goons say a name. Marks. Suddenly, the pieces had begun falling into place. It's communism. Communism's a red herring. Um... (laughs) Like the like anybody else in the world's oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. <laughs> uh, that movie is so underrated. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It's my favorite movie. Like uh, this might be criminal to say, but it's my favorite movie with Tim Curry. I I put it up there. I just his portrayal of Wadsworth. We're talking about Clue. We're talking about Clue, by the way, everybody. We're talking about Clue. Go watch it yeah. if you haven't. Um. Uh, Graydon Marks was the owner of a pharmaceutical subsidiary that kept a production plant outside of town. It made a sick kind of sense that Marks might have decided to take kids as unwilling, unplayed subjects for new drugs they were testing. And he was only, he was one of the only individuals with both enough political and monetary pull to keep the mayor's office and police department on lockdown. Granted, it was a long shot, and June didn't fit the profile of the rest of the missing kids, but Jack had been desperate to find even the thinnest thread to follow. The plant lay on a sprawling property outside of the city limits, where Marx kept a house that served as his primary residence when he was in town. Jack had been surreptitiously staking the place out for the last three days, and had seen several unmarked vans driven by pairs of suit-wearing tough guys coming and going from the main entrance of the compound. He planned on taking a closer look tonight, but then, when he'd been at the office getting ready to head over to the plant, Chase had called him out of the blue and said, thanks, but they wouldn't be needing him to keep looking into June's disappearance after all. End of discussion. That's interesting. That's, yeah. Swerve! 
Well, and, and uh, they, I like. It's it's a it's a va- it's vague too. Maybe intentionally, they wouldn't. They said they wouldn't need him to keep looking. Not like we found her. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Like I, you know, noir always takes a little bit to set up, but the tone gets placed. And then I like the, I like that we kind of cycle back to the phone call at the beginning, and that just that raises that raises our our um, intrigue. Raises our eyebrows. Yeah. Raises our. I almost made a lowest common denominator joke there, and then stopped myself because. That's what you and Dead Palette do, not me. Right. Right. And I would have done it had you not just pointed it out. <laughs> Good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jack leaned back in his chair and looked into the bottle, uh, pensively swirling. Did you mean a dick? Was it about a dick? Were you going to talk about a dick? Yes, was Alan, dick <laughs> It was about a dick! Are you happy now? <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, Good. Okay. So empty inside. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's always about dicks with you. <laughs> what can I say? Fuck. <laughs> I love you, brother. Jack. Dicks rule. Dicks rule everything around me. Dream. Get the dicks. <laughs> Boner, boner, dicks, y'all. <laughs> boner. Boner, boner, boner. Boner, boner. Okay. Jack leaned back in his chair and looked into the bottle, pensively swirling the bourbon around the bottom. Fuck it. He had to... <laughs> Fuck the bottle? He came to the decision abruptly, standing up and <laughs> slamming the bottle down onto his desktop. <laughs> You're gonna damage that computer, dude. He hadn't known the Bensons for long, but this was completely out of character. Something was up, and damn it, there were kids at risk. He might not be getting paid to follow up the lead, but Jack's conscience wasn't going to let him just sit there and get wasted. Uh, <laughs> you need a moment? Little, I don't have uh, Snickers. My brain just filled in the blanks for you. Pensively swirling the bourbon around the bottom. He fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, I. There, there's realism here because I mean, if if you went to an informant and they said, "Oh yes, yeah, a guy put a black bag over a kid's head and <laughs> <laughs> kidnap him," right? Well, you you might like do something about. It. Well, especially when you find out that a kid has been kidnapped and potentially uh, potentially uh, taken to a compound run by the fodder of modern communism. Right. I mean, come on. Like, okay, and apparently Carl was, I mean, I mean, great, I mean, Marx, he was only taking poor kids for a bit, but then he had to go too far and take one of the bourgeois. Yes. Like, you don't fuck with the capitalists. Not that. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Uh, yeah, com- com- communism's a red herring. Um, we all know this. He took his overcoat from the back of the chair and threw it on before reaching into the other drawer, where he kept Cheryl. 
The Colt 357 was a thing of beauty, and he did a quick check to make sure each of her six cartridges were loaded before sliding her into his shoulder holster and slipping a box of spare shells into his jacket pocket. Wow, I'm aroused. That's weird. Um, <clears throat> with that, he stepped out into the hallway and resolutely locked the door behind him. Alan, does uh, the revolver in your series have a name? Um... Uh... No. <laughs> okay. Now, if you had a revolver, <laughs> would you name it? Um... I don't know. Uh... Because... Mur- mur- murder bang? Murder... <laughs> Kill muzzle. Okay. I was just saying the eroticism of a... Sliding her and sliding her into his shoulder holster. Yep. I mean, her name is Cheryl. Yeah. That is, if it, okay. About that point, I gotta say the noir level hit critical mass because yeah. PIs in noir stories always name their guns after a, a woman. That's just how it works. PIs and Jane from Firefly. Oh, that's <clears throat> right. Dark clouds covered the pale winter moon as Jack moved the car to the side of the road and pulled into a small clearing he had discovered earlier in the week. He got out and hastily removed a tarp from the back seat and threw it over the car. In the dark, the vehicle would be effectively invisible to anyone on the road. It had been steadily snowing for the last few hours, so he briefly went back to the road and did his best to cover the tracks leading into the clearing. He had stopped about a mile short of the entrance to the compound. With only one road leading in or out and no other turnoffs, getting too close wouldn't serve for any kind of sneaking. The, the approach to the plant was thick with trees, so Jack would be able to stay in the woods, but keep sight of the road to guide his path. Wrapping his coat more tightly around himself against the cold, he started trudging towards the compound. Um, I mean, I, I'm very used to the, the noir style of writing. And do you, do you think someone who's not used to it would complain that not enough is happening? <laughs> uh, maybe, but we know what the style is, but, and so that helps, but maybe, I mean, not a lot is happening right now, but I, which is, I, but, but it is important that we have the intrigue about the call. Yeah. Now, normal, like, the, the question we have to ask is, is this noir? Yes. But is this creepy? Is this creepy pasta? It's not creepy yet. Not yet. But we um, have noir that might build into creepypasta. Because normally creepypasta just kind of either encyclopedia lays things out, ash can style, or we are thrown into the thick of the action. Right. Anywho... Any hoozle. I'm waiting for the spoop to start. Yeah. I'm, I'm about there, too. That's kind of what I was starting to get to get at. Don't, don't, don't get started too quickly. I mean, if you start... <laughs> you may never finish. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. Hold on a you second. Wanna, Hold you want to say... You want to cycle that logic back for me? If you start, you may never finish. Started. <laughs> One, two, three, 
four. There's only four instances of the word started in this story, Alan. We're good. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do, and I failed completely. <laughs> Comedy is not my forte. I would do you know, a Um, I know you don't do it intentionally, but I want to reassure you that you are at your funniest when your jokes do not land. Well, I'm glad to know that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> It's your, it's, it's your up. I know, it may seem awkward to you, but like listening back to these, I always love the moment where you make a joke, there's silence, and then you try and transition. It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> well, you know, when you got a ru- when you got a routine that works, you stick with it, I guess. If it works. <sighs> it's, uh, it's very, it's very Scott Ackerman. <laughs> Scott, oh yeah, mm. Yeah, I could see Scott, that. I could see Scotty, that. Scotty is like the anti-humor straight man of Comedy Bang Bang. You need one of those. And he just Dude. surrounds himself with wacky characters. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad to be... I'm happy to serve as your PFT. Um, oh, you're, you're definitely our PFT. What does that make, uh, what does that make Dead Palette? I don't know. Uh... Because if I'm gonna make a reference to another Paul F. Tompkins character, uh, you would be, you'd be Frank Doyle, and he would be Sadie Doyle. <laughs> so he'd be Paget Brewster. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> am I, are we at a are we at a strange moaning? Is yeah. That what I'm... That's you. So you get to lead us into a strange moaning. Yeah. A strange moaning caused him to start. Ah, start. Uh, ah his hand flying under his coat to rest on Cheryl. Jack scanned around him, heart beating wildly. The trees in their stark nakedness reached into the bleak sky like the fingers of the damned. A light wind causing them to creak and groan in their torment. Otherwise, all was silent. Despite the cold, A slow bead of sweat rolled down Jack's nose, the tiny hairs on the back of his neck standing at attention. After a few moments, he turned and continued his trek. His hand remained on the butt of the revolver. Tee-hee, I said butt. Uh Uh-huh, he's touching (laughs) Cheryl's butt. Um, spooky. Okay, were the trees causing the moaning? Okay. Well, they they might be if they're the trees um, from Evil Dead. He reached the perimeter think... fence without incident. <laughs> yeah. He had scouted the area and found an expansive fence where the trees masked the view of the security cameras. I was out of sight of the main gate. Earlier today, earlier... <laughs> okay. I'm glad I went back and read along with you. <laughs> I thought you said found an expensive fence. <laughs> just, just like, all right, I'm scouting the area. Wow, that is one fancy-ass fence. <laughs> I feel like this is the antithesis of what Marx is trying to do here, man. Yeah. You know? But anyway... <laughs> Slightly yeah. winded... Oh, wait. 
No. Earlier today, they had used a pair of wire cutters to make an entrance. Slightly winded as he squeezed through the fence, days like this served to remind him of his youth, that his youth was a distant memory. Jack cursed under his breath as he felt sharp edges of wire catch on his coat. Then he was in. Alright, uh, still waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Okay. Alright. Okay. Jack's reconnaissance hadn't let him work out the patrol patterns of any security guards. But now he saw he needn't have worried too much. In fact, other than the guards in the shack at the main gate, there didn't seem to be any physical security on the grounds. He decided to start looking at the house. Making his way across the snowy terrain, Jack saw the residence atop a low hill a couple hundred yards ahead, light glaring from every window. He crept closer, doing his best to use the trees that dotted the yard to mask his approach. He stopped behind the closest tree and was considering how to proceed when the front door opened and three figures stepped outside. Okay. And something happens now. <laughs> the first Jack knew only by reputation, but the oily sheen that emitted from his too wide smile identified him as Graydon Marks. Jack's jaw dropped when he saw the people behind Marks were Chase and Molly Benson. Oh, shit. It's funny, because Benson. Benson. Um, yes. Jack was just close enough to hear the end of their conversation. And can see her? When can we, and can we see her, Mr. Marks? Oh, presently, presently, my dear Chase. <laughs> I've decided that's how Graydon Marks sounds. Oh, well, then perfectly. <laughs> he, he's, so he's like, he's a uh, Willy Wonka. He's, he's, no, he's a fop. Oh, okay. oh, presently, presently, my dear Chase. <laughs> In fact, that's where we're going now. Come along. Oh, boy. I'm so down for this. The millionaire switched on a large industrial flashlight and led the Bensons around behind the house. Jack followed, silent as a shadow. Um, at first, Jack assumed they would be going to the pharmaceutical plant to the west of the house, but soon found he was mistaken. Instead, Marks walked directly south, straight into woods that were even thicker than those through which Jack had approached the compound. They walked for maybe 20 minutes, Jack struggling to stay quiet and keep the bouncing beam of Marks' flashlight in sight. After a time, he could see a strange flickering ahead, which, once they got close enough, he could identify as a roaring bonfire set in a small clearing. He stopped about 50 feet short of the fire and hid himself behind a tree. He could see the Bensons were agitated. Molly clinging to her husband. Chase, obviously enraged, shouting at Marks. What's the meaning of this, Marks? You said you were taking us to see our daughter! And so I have, Chase! So I have! She'll be here shortly! The, the fire, you see! We found it draws them! The millionaire smiled and moved to a tree at the edge of the clearing. In a smooth motion, he hoisted himself up into a hunting platform set on the lower branches. Ah, here she is now. It's even, oh! better. It's even better. I, I'm I, like I'm almost enjoying the story more now that he has that voice. The pale shape of a little girl moved into the clearing. Jack recognized June from the pictures her parents had given him, but only just. 
Her once sparkling eyes were dull and empty, lacking even the most rudimentary intelligence, her face slack. A dried reddish smear crusted around her mouth. The girl was dressed in rags, her hands and feet bare. She shuffled forward, almost stumbling into the fire, paying no mind to her parents or the heat. Something was very wrong. Zombie? Are we just doing zombies? Zombie? It's, I'm telling you, it's been so long since I've seen a straight-up zombie. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless there's some twist here, I'm, gonna, I'm already calling just a zombie. That Marx is making zombies. Making bacon zombies. I mean, it's been so long since I've seen a straight-up zombie. It's, it honestly might be kind of refreshing. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's see what happens. Oh, my God, baby! Molly Benson threw herself at her child, sweeping her up in a hug. Jack saw a look of ecstasy pass across the girl's face and a terrible hunger into her eyes. As she suddenly opened her mouth and sank her teeth into her mother's neck. Molly screamed and Chase lunged for his wife as a fountain of blood erupted, washing June's face in gore. The girl rode her mother to the ground, worrying at the wound like a wild animal. Jack felt the world lurch. You rang, said Lurch. <laughs> um, yeah, so either she's a zombie, or a vampire, or both. Or a vampire. <laughs> or a zompire. Chase was struggling to pry June off Molly when Jack saw other small shapes had entered the clearing. Chase didn't notice until the things that had once been children were practically on top of him, I by then it was too late. Jack turned and ran. He sprinted through the forest, mindless now of the noise he was making. His only thought on escape. Branches reached out and tried to tangle his arms. Stones sought to trip him up. Abruptly, a root caused his, caught his foot and sent him tumbling head over heels. His head met a tree with a sickening thud. Then... Blackness. There's another noir trope. Yep. A blow to the head does not instantly kill you. It just knocks you out conveniently until the villain finds you and trusses you up. Yep. So, wouldn't that suck if we lived in that kind of universe? Well, I mean, not really, because it'd mean, like, no deaths by blows to the head, really. Right, but... <laughs> you could give someone a light tap and they could be unconscious for hours. They'd wake up with no ill effects, but imagine how much easier it'd be to kidnap people. Well, that's a matter of perspective. Would the ease of kidnapping people be worth the, like, fewer, like, concussions? Good point. Just depends on if you want to take them alive. Uh, I mean, if you're in the business of, I mean, like... I mean, think about think about how that would affect the football in the, the industry of like football. <laughs> Good point. There, there'd be no like, there'd be no like, you know, concussions or like a uh, post-concussion syndrome. It would just be like, oh, and he takes a bump on the noggin, and he's sleeping. He's asleep now. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna take a little sleep and be back on the field in like five to ten minutes. So. In some ways, there would be benefits. I, yeah, sure. I approve. 
noir world where a blow to the head does not mean you're dead. When he it just, is, just means you get to take a little nap. Just gonna have a little sleepy. Just gonna take a little sleepy. When... <laughs> Are you having insomnia? I can fix that. Bong. Good night. When... I, I, this, for some reason, reminds me. There was a stand-up bit I did. Like, uh, what version of the afterlife I would prefer? If, if we, how great it would be if we knew the afterlife was real. Like, uh-huh. what version would we prefer to be real? Yeah. And I think, I think I'd prefer, like, the, the, uh, the Norse version of the afterlife to be real, Valhalla. Where you get to go and drink mead and then go out and fight and die and then immediately get born again. Because, because, you have to die in battle to go to Valhalla. Right. So, so do you know what that would mean? What would it mean? It, it would mean there would be an insurance package you'd have to buy. <laughs> to that, where if you were terminally ill, to where they'd send a guy to fight you to death. Ah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is is Grandpa gonna go to heaven? He is, sweetie. As soon as Dr. Ragnar Fuckstomper gets here, <laughs> he's going to make sure he, he's going to hand Grandpa a sword and shield and make sure he gets to Oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> Ragnar Fuckstomper is my new OC. <laughs> professional professional uh, Valhalla presenter. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh... When he awoke, the first thing he noticed was the pain, next to the cold. Shaking his head to try and clear it, Jack looked around. He'd been stripped down to his t-shirt and boxers, scandalous. His hands secured with rope to the trunk of a tree above his head. To his front, Mark stood in the clearing, the bonfire burning merrily behind him. Two piles of rapidly cooling red and fresh, flesh-colored pulp pouring steam into the frosty air at his feet. He held Cheryl in his hands, the revolver glinting cruelly in the firelight. <clears throat> ah, Mr. Monaghan, good, you're awake, he smiled. You have my admiration. Commendable detective work these past few weeks, if not the most discreet. <laughs> he clicked his tongue. I hope you didn't think you were being especially sneaky. <sighs> Still, it would have gone easier for you if you had just taken the hint when I had the Bensons let you go. They were so frantic at the thought of being reunited with their daughter. They were fully prepared to do any little thing I asked. But here we are. I must say this is truly an excellent firearm. He admired the magnum for another moment before pointing it at Jack and pulling the trigger. Click. Russian roulette, motherfucker. I wish, but no. The sound <laughs> was enormous. A blossom of agony roared up Jack's leg and then dulled. When he opened his eyes, he saw the shattered ruin that had once been his right foot. Oof. Damn. I'm so glad I'm getting all these guys' lines. I yeah, I, I don't get it. Ah, yeah, go for it. You you lucked out on this one. Mark stooped down in front of him. Must be going, old chap. 
I tell you to simply walk away from this, but you've squandered that opportunity already, and, well, it'd be quite impossible now for a multitude of reasons. He inclined his head towards Jack's destroyed foot. However, as I've confessed my admiration, I've decided to give you a sporting chance. There's a very realistic possibility you'll bleed out before the children get hungry again. Good luck. <laughs> With that, he walked out of the clearing into the darkened woods. Was it weird that the, when you read Jack's Destroyed Foot, my mind immediately went, I am Jack's Destroyed Foot? <laughs> nah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, in proper megaloman megalomaniac villain fashion, he leaves him to get eaten by the, zomb the zombie children and walks away. Yeah. Jack lay there in the snow, the white around him slowly turning red. His eyesight fading, the dull pain that had been emitting from his foot gradually built to a crescendo. At the edge of his vision, he could just make out a small shape enter the clearing and slowly shuffle towards him, soon followed by another. He began slipping into unconsciousness as he felt the first tiny, questing hand start to explore his exposed, freezing flesh. His last thought, before his entire world was consumed by blackness and pain, was that he guessed right. He guessed he'd been guessed he'd been right at the office after all. Either way, this is going to be a bad night. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. Um. I don't know if I like this as a horror story. No. As a, as a noir, I enjoyed it. As as they, noir, they got all yes. they got all the, they got all the, he got all the beats down they yeah. got all the beats down can't yeah. won't presume it was written well in yeah in terms of like I don't think the writing was um, there were never any points that made me groan that's for sure it's competently yeah. written I would expect nothing less from Shadow Swimmer seventy seven um however um. It leaves a little to be desired. Like, I don't know if the zombie children were enough of a payoff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. I, I, and to, to, um, to elaborate here, um, it's been expressed before that all of these stories are somehow, all of Shadow Summer's stories are somehow connected to a degree, so they're all part of a larger universe. So. Also, uh, I just read this was a 24 hour writing challenge. That's pretty good for a 24-hour writing challenge. And and they were given the, the subject, detective fired from his job. Right. So that in mind, I actually think it worked out pretty well. But I think it could be... I don't know. It's, it's, it's lacking something at the end of it, you know? No, no, I feel you. So... Um... I think uh, I'm I'm giving this a more generous grade based on the uh, the criteria this was written under, and just because I'm a sucker for noir, I really am. I yeah I I agree there. Um, I think I could be fair to this story. I think it's is it is it did I enjoy it more than I didn't enjoy it? Yes, but. 
again, there's it's lacking something that gives it the oomph that I need. Um, I mean, I was intrigued. It kept me reading. But at a certain point, I was kind of going, okay, and then something's going to happen. And when something happened, I was kind of like, hmm, it's Zambies. Now, it's possible that these could be expanded on in other stories of his. But taking the story just in its own context, which is what we're doing, I'm yeah. not sure how sold I am on this. I think it's kind of weird that Marx is making zombies out of kids, I guess. Like... Is he drugging them? Is that what's happening? Um, Did he make the T virus? For itchy tasty? Is this... Is this... Is this what people think communism is? <laughs> it turns out he kidnaps the kids and he just sets them down and he goes... And uh, he's when he uh, if if uh, detective if our detective uh, had survived this he would have kicked in a door and seen him seated with a bunch of children reading the communist manifesto and looked at him and said oh no Mr Monison communism was not a red herring <laughs> I finally got to uh. Monahan Monahan oh Mr Monahan I'm so glad you're here. I feel better now. I got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you got and you got me to laugh. <laughs> I yep, there you go. See, I feel better about myself and about my worldview. What did you think of that, just me, David? Oh, he's giving me the thumbs up. It stinks. <laughs> uh let's give it our freshness rating. Um I will give this a uh I will give this a revolver named Cheryl out of a glass of bourbon. I will give this a – it was 11.16 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I poured myself a uh, glass of scotch and took back a swig. He walked into my office and said I needed to read a story with him. He was poured into a dress. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to ask, David, why are you wearing that dress? <laughs> I, you know, I have my, I have my reasons. I mean, looks good on you. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, Kayla says the same thing. Weird. <laughs> this podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.